right, I know that you've been totally absorbed by what's going on in Washington and Iraq and Iran. There's been a lot going on, so you probably missed this, that the semicolon got arrested this week. Anybody see that? Nobody reads the news? You got two consecutive sentences. <laughs> The more children you sponsor, the better the jokes get. This is, how, this is how this works. Sometimes I think we feel like as we go through life that we are going through life sentences. Why me? Why am I going through this? Why do I have to go through that? That may be how Elijah might have felt. Remember last week when we started talking about Elijah, he shows up out of nowhere, at least in the Bible. Historically, we don't know anything about his childhood. We don't know where he got his education. We don't know where he had his relationship with God. We just know that one day he shows up and he speaks to the king of Israel. He goes to Ahab and he says, dude, listen, because of your idolatry and your worship of pagan gods, there will be no rain in Israel till I say so. When God lets me know, I'll let you know. Might be a good time for you to get right with God, King Ahab. And then God spirits him away and says, you need to go and hide. And he went to what? Where'd he go? He went to the brook. God said, I want you to hide out down in this brook down in Jordan and there'll be water to drink there and I'll send ravens who eat everything, but they're going to bring you bread and meat day and night. You're going to trust me. So Elijah does. Then we read the next sentence, all right? This is going to mess you up. It's a long passage, but I want to read it because it's a story and you need to hear the whole story. So stand with me out of respect for God's word. I'm going to read it very quickly. So you'll need to listen very quickly. All right. So here we go. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and said, Bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she said, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do what I've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel said. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her to do. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word that the Lord spoke to Elijah... Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah said. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was 
staying and laid on him on his bed. Then he cried to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I am by causing her her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. Now don't expect me to raise people from the dead. Elijah is reminding people, giving them a picture of what Jesus is going to do in the future. And if a man will raise from the dead, there's pretty good evidence that you might ought to listen to him. So, Father, I pray, as we open your word, that you would speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this is an interesting turn of events. And it happens very quickly. This is why I'm always challenging you to ask your Bible questions. Because if it's true, then we ought to be able to ask it questions and get answers. Does that make sense to you? There ought to be some truth behind it. We ought to be able to track down what's going on historically, archaeologically, in these stories. So we're, we're going to get to that. But I want to show you sometime how the world makes my life easy. And I'm sorry that they make it so easy. But Chuck Todd, see on Meet the Press? I don't know who he is. But Chuck Todd made a statement. This last week, he has no idea he's fulfilling scripture. Maybe he'll watch me and he'll, he'll know. Um, he said, we live in a time when people liked to listen to fairy tales like Noah's Ark. Now, he'd have been okay. He'd have been okay if he would have just said fairy tales. Allow me to quote from Peter. All right. Second, or first, yeah, Second Peter chapter three. Sorry, Lori, I'm throwing you curveballs. Second Peter chapter three, verses five and six. But the end times, they will deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. There's creation, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now check out verse six. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged, that's flooded if you didn't go to school, and destroyed. It says they deliberately forget about the flood. In the end times, mockers will come. You read the whole chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3. In the end times, people will come and they will mock God. And what will they specifically mock? Creation and Noah's flood. God's flood, actually. Noah just rode a boat. But you get, the, you get the idea. So we live in a time, and then what happens is the church is afraid. I'm afraid of Chuck Todd. All right? The church gets afraid to stand where the Bible stands. I'm not afraid of that. Let's, let's do some history. Shall we do our own research and find out if things are true? Because there has still never been a Spade of dirt turned over that disproved one verse in your Bible. Not one. So, I ask this question. He confronts Ahab, he goes to the brook, the brook dries up, and it says, God said, I need you to go to Zarephath. And it's just a simple statement, right? Where's Zarephath? I'm glad you asked. Here's a map, 
and I'm going to show you what's going on. So he's staying down here. He's somewhere in, in Jordan, which is down in this area right here. Here's Jerusalem. So Elijah's over here somewhere on the Jordanian side, and Zarephath is here. It's 85 miles walking. And he's got no water because the brook dried up. And what's the prophecy? No rain. No rain till I say so. So the brook, and if you want to talk about it in archaeological terms, the word is wadi, W-A-D-I. And it's one of those streams that you look at it and you can tell it used to have water in it, but when you're there, it's dried up. That's a wadi. That's a brook. That's, that's where he's at. But now there's no water. And God says, I need you over here. So it's real easy to read that sentence and just think, oh, okay, he went across the street. Oh, he walked 85 miles. Why? And here's the question we're going to ask you at the beginning. I'll ask it again at the end. Was it about Elijah? Was it about a widow? Was it about a widow's son that was going to die and he was going to raise him from the dead? Was it about us? Or was God working everything together for all of us? That's the question. Because sometimes we look at our own lives and we're like, what is God up to? And there's times when I can't answer that. I can't tell you why you're living the pain you're living right now. I can't tell you why God's saying... You're going to have to do something else. But I know what I have a tendency to do. When the brook dries up, I whine. God, this is so unfair for the brook to dry up. When sometimes God's saying, it's time for something new. I've got something better for you. If the brook doesn't dry up, does Elijah move? Probably not. Does the widow die? Probably does. Elijah's got to go help her? He's going to help the son. God's putting all these pieces together. I don't know what your brook looks like today. I don't know what yours is dealing with, what what you're dealing with about what's dried up. But you can either sit around and cry about what's dried up or you can say, okay, God, I don't like this, but what's next? And you know what? Sometimes he says, well, you need to walk 85 miles, then I'll fill you in. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. But God has not forgotten about you. God has never forgotten who you are and how much he loves you and what his plan is. But God, if if we're truly his, if we've accepted Jesus, then we're not our own anyway. We're supposed to be out on a limb, are we not? If you're looking to be comfortable, you're going to have a hard time. If he was looking to be comfortable, he wouldn't have confronted King Ahab. If he was looking to be comfortable, he wouldn't have moved into a cave by a brook and let birds feed him. But let me ask you this. Would you rather be comfortable doing it your way or know that you're secure because you're doing it God's way? That's the question we really have to face. That's the one that we really have to answer. So he goes this 85-mile journey, and he finally gets there, and guess who he sees? The first person he runs into. Who is it? It's a widow. Now let me help you. If God would have said to you during this time, you have to put yourself in this situation. Hey, I'm going to have a widow take care of you. That might be more disturbing than having the ravens feed him. Because a widow in that culture, she had nothing 
which is proved by the story once he gets there. So for him to go, oh, this is a great plan. I'll go to this woman who obviously has nothing because she's a widow. In fact, a lot of women in that time, their only option was prostitution. There's no social security. There was no, there was no government to back you up. Uh, if you didn't have a son to work and her son is young, so this is a real bad plan, God. Elijah says, okay. So he goes. He goes, it's modern Lebanon is, is where this city is today. If you want to, you can find the actual city and the ruins thereof if you want to look it up. Um, but he moves there and the first person he sees is this widow. And he says, would you just bring me a, a jar of water? Now, how about her position here? <laughs> I'm about to die. My son's about to die. I'm fixing our last meal, our last supper, so to speak, so that we can die. And this guy shows up and says to her, give me a drink of water. I might have had some words from Elijah and they might not have been, yeah, I'll go get you some water. I might have had some words. And no doubt she's not happy in her response. She says, look, I'm about to die. Oh, let me tell you one more thing. Let me show you where God moves him. This is, this is the, um, the pagan god Baal, B-A-A-L. All right, here's a, a picture on a relief. Um, you can see him outlined there. Um, this, is, this is the God that Ahab worshipped. This is the one that God t told Elijah, tell him until you stop worshipping this pagan God, there'll be no rain. Guess what Baal is in charge of? He's known as the storm God. Guess where Baal worship is centered? In the city that God sent Elijah to be with the widow. That's where headquarters for Baal worship was. So God not only sends him to a widow in Zarephath, but Zarephath is where they truly worship completely this pagan God. You go represent me and go take care of this widow. God, what are you up to? Sometimes, to pardon the pun, sometimes God sends us into a storm because he needs us to be light in the middle of that. Listen, those kids in Guatemala, they didn't do a thing to be in that nightmare that they're in. I don't have time to go into a whole lot of detail, but I will tell you, I've been there. I've been there, and I can tell you that most of the kids there have been physically abused, sexually abused. It is one of the most painful places I've ever been in my life. And to see what the church of Jesus Christ does when the light moves in to the darkness. See, either we surrender to these pagan gods, whether they're drug lords or... Uh, there's 12-year-olds running around with machine guns on the streets. This is no lie. There's a Pepsi truck that comes into this village. They'll only come to the very edge of the village and supply one store. There's a tail gunner on the Pepsi truck. There's a guy with a machine gun on the back of the Pepsi truck because they're afraid, well, they're not afraid, they will be robbed. That's how real this is. See, it's real comfortable here in Ormond, isn't it? Things are pretty good for us. We got a chance to do something great. But sometimes you got to be willing to walk away from the dry brook. Sometimes you got to say, God, I don't know why I'm going. This is certainly not where I'd choose to go. And your plan is no good. 
But it's a pretty good plan if you're the widow. Because when she does obey God, when she says, okay, here's some water. And she said, don't have any bread. But she's willing to do what he said. See, I forget who said this. I stole it. But so whoever it is, whoever wrote this, he gets the credit. He said, there comes a time in our lives when you have to decide, am I going to live what is safe or am I going to do what seems absolutely crazy, but what is what God requires of me? And when you read the Bible, every step of faith, every one of them is crazy. Abraham, leave your comfortable life. I'm going to send you to Israel into a desert. I'm going to make you a great people. God, not a good plan. Jesus, I'm going to send you into the world. You're going to die for the sins of everyone. It's tough. It doesn't matter. Whatever faith story you read Hebrews 11, every one of those faith stories was somebody willing to go out on the limb and say, God, here I am and I'm not going anywhere. But I only have this much money. Okay? Notice God did not require of that lady anything she didn't have. What did he require of her? A portion of what she had. If you trust me with a little bit, he said, I'll take care of you. That's what faith looks like. That's what tithing is. Why do I give 10%? A, to say, yes, God, I believe you're real. And B, I trust that you're going to make my 90% go further than my 100% could ever go on my own. Maybe, some, maybe our struggle... In the West, maybe this is our struggle. We have so much that we don't know how little we have. Maybe when you're down to your last piece of flour, your last little bit of flour and your last little bit of oil, and you're down to your last meal, then you say, you know what? I got nothing to lose. But I think for most of us, we're afraid. We're afraid to truly just do what God says. This is crazy. Why would I give God 10%? Why would I give my time? Why would I sponsor a child when I could do this for myself? That's what faith looks like. Faith is a verb, by the way. It is never used as a noun. It's not something you believe. I went to church. My faith is complete. No, faith is a verb. By faith... Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac. By faith, Moses did this. By, they're all what? Action. Say it. Action. What is What are you doing? Are you on a limb? Am I out on the limb? The widow's willing to take a chance. Jesus said in John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who partakes of me will never hunger again. Plays real well off of this story. Plays real well off the manna story back in Exodus or when the people are wandering around in, in, in numbers where God provides manna from heaven, bread that came up out of the ground and the people ate it every day. Jesus said, I am the manna that will last forever. Do we trust Jesus as the bread of life? This lady learned. This widow lady teaches us a lesson with her last amount she gave. You know another story like that in Jesus' life? Remember the story? The widow that came, gave two mites, all that she had. Jesus is sitting there at the temple and he said, she gave more than everybody. And the disciples like, you're nuts. These other guys dumped in all kinds of gold. She gave two little coins. 
And Jesus said, yeah, but she trusted God enough to give out of what she didn't have. She gave everything she had to live on. So, there's the brook that dried up. What do you do when the brook dries up? You whine? Listen, I think it's okay to whine short term. Everybody gets the chance to whine. Everybody gets a chance to cry. But at some point you say, okay, the brook dried up. I need to go do something else. I need to go find out what God's going to do next in my life. And this is not what Elijah had planned. Maybe our problem is we're so busy planning that we forget to see where God wants us to go. Because unless Elijah listens to God, this lady dies. Unless this lady listens to Elijah, she and her son die. So then we get to the boy. We got the brook, we got the bread, and we got the boy. Was it all about the boy? Does God send him? Does God send Elijah knowing that in time this boy is going to have this illness? You know, and the, and the lady, what's her first reaction? Sounds like all of us. Did you come here to condemn me for my sin? Some of you are walking around thinking that, that God's doing this to me because I'm a sinner. Listen, we're all sinners. God would take us all out anytime he wanted to. He doesn't need a drone. God can do it any way he wants. It's not punishment for your sin. Jesus took the punishment for your sin. Isaiah 53, you can check it out. Jesus took the punishment for your sin. So whatever you're going through, whatever the brook looks like, whatever the bread and oil situation looks like, wherever you find yourself, do not think God is after me. The only way God's ever been after us is to love us. And then through a miracle, God brings the boy back to life. Does that, is it we're not looking forward to what Jesus is going to do? Is this not the kind of miracle we're going to see when Jesus is here? So when Jesus raises the little boy from the dead, they already knew this story. They already knew about a God who's, if, 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 you, can, if you can do a resurrection, guys, Somebody at least ought to look into the story. I'd hate for you to walk out of here tonight not knowing that you're going to heaven. If a man raised from the dead, he's worth investigating. He's worth reading about. He's worth checking that story out. Because for 2,000 years, people have tried everything they can to tear up this story. And God's still there. And the resurrection still stands very firm. So if you need to accept Jesus, Pastor David will be there in Palm Bay for you. Here, we've got a crew that will be over here at the decision station. Some of you need prayer. And listen, I know there's a family here tonight. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Um, there's a family going to Puerto Rico to help rescue their family from the earthquakes. Where are you guys at? Right back here in the back. They're going to come up for prayer, but some of you need to uh, grab a hold of them and pray for them and slip some money in their pocket because they're going to rescue their several family members and fly them out of one of the worst areas in Puerto Rico so they could use some help. It would be a blessing to them. Um, they're all the way in the back, and they'll be down here for prayer so you can, you can get with them too. Uh, listen, life's real. Faith is real. It's real easy. I could say, you know what? Be blessed, guys. I hope things work out for you. Or we can reach into our pocket and say, you know what? I've got to be a part of this. I got to be an action, not a noun. What does faith look like? Faith usually, if it's done correctly, looks crazy to the world. And here's what I've learned after doing this for 30 years. 
Usually, when you take a huge step of faith, it looks crazy to church people. Church people will say, pastors will say, well, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do all that. You don't have to trust God that much. You don't have to go out and do all that. Listen, here, I'll just, my wife will testify. I don't know where my wife is. She's here in the room. Anyway, um, I'm all or nothing about everything. I'm all or nothing. If we're going to drink coffee, I'm going to outdrink you. If we're going to plant churches, I did that with other things too, but that was a long time ago. If we're going to plant churches, I want to be the best at it. Who wants to be third? Nobody wants to be third. Faith says, God, I don't get it. The brook dried up. Your plan makes no sense. <laughs> My son and I are about to die. Faith says, you just keep going, you keep trusting, and you keep obeying. And you and I have got to decide whether we're going to do that. I read this story a few weeks ago about a, a guy whose dying wish was he, was, he was in hospice, and his dying wish was to be baptized. And in fact, I have done a baptism in this very uh, machine. It's a, it's a therapy machine. I did it when the hospital was over here in Ormond. And um, I had a, a man that I had the privilege of baptizing. Um, and I don't want to say I was waffling, but I'm like, you know what? It's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll pour water on you. We'll do something. And he said, no, I want to do this the right way. And so the nurses worked with me, and we lowered a guy hydraulically down into the water, and it was an incredible moment. But here's the question, and I, and I did ask this man this question. I said, why would you wait this long? He didn't, at that moment, that he had to make that choice. This man had to make a choice. You don't have to wait that long. You can be obedient right now and accept Jesus as your Savior. But let me tell you, when you live by faith, it means staying out on a limb. Father, I pray that tonight we'll grab a hold of this. It's easy to be comfortable, especially in our culture and our world today. But you didn't call us to be comfortable. You called us to confront kings. You called us to trust you. You called us to stand on your word, even at times when it's hard to understand what you're up to, when the brook's all dried up. But God, right where we are tonight, some need to take a step of faith to accept Jesus. Some need to change their lifestyle. Some need to change their wallet. Some need to fix their marriage. Some have broken hearts like that widow. So, God, I just ask you to work mightily. My words mean nothing, but your word, your spirit are all powerful. So speak clearly in Jesus' name.